Hello and welcome to the Creative Scramble. My name is Cal Thompson. My name is Matty Singh. And today we're joined by music visionary video director, Casey Locke. Hi mate. Hello guys. <laughs> welcome we to know the show. Each other anyway, but yeah. yeah. We do, we do. We, uh, we go back about six months. <laughs> so so I, well, the reason we brought you onto the podcast is because you've got a pretty incredible journey. You've gone from like what, Virgin Media engineer all the way through to, to filmmaker to working with grime artists in Manchester to very recently just completing a music video for LOA's latest uh, track out in LA. I, I just want, I want to sort of pick your brains and work out how somebody does that. Obviously, at such a young age, how old are you? Uh, 28. You're 28 and you've just directed you've, you've, a music video out in LA and you're Manchester-based. Yeah. Right? It's, it's incredible. You've, you've achieved a lot without an agent. You know, just, it's all done by yourself, right? Yep. Tell us about where you, how you first got into filmmaking. <sighs> all, all the way back. Well, you know, as far back as you feel is necessary. I yeah. think it's worth going all the way back because I think this is the first time I've had something physically recorded on file for someone to listen to. Okay. Um, I've done talks on stages and yeah. that sort of stuff for to people individually, but nothing that someone can go back to in reference. So I feel like it's good to go quite far back okay. to, to start. Um, so I'll probably go back to like high school, really. Mm-hmm. Um, shit in school, really bad. Like really, really got kicked out of one school, um, another high school, and then when, I was, when you get to like your GCSEs, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Was, the school that I was at converted to like um, a performing arts school, Lostock, Lostock Community High School it was, then it converted to a college. So we kind of got forced to do performing arts. So I was like a bad kid, didn't really do much, and it was like, right, so now you've got to be an actor. Compulsory. Right. I was like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> I'm not interested in being on stage. Yeah. I hate being in front of the camera. It's the worst thing you could ever put, force me to do. Yeah. But they forced our whole year group to convert into this idea of you have to do an MVQ, which is like four GCSEs equivalent. Right. Yeah, yeah. In order to succeed and leave the school. So we kind of got forced to do it, and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> so I spent most of the time sat at the back of the arts theatre watching everyone else doing it because I refused to do it because I was just a bad kid. Um, and it wasn't until then when I started looking around the arts theatre and seeing lights and cameras and there's a whole technical aspect behind everything everyone knew about. There was a, a technician who used to work in there every day filming all the end of year assemblies and schools and that sort of stuff. I thought, that's quite cool. I used to play games a lot and it was quite technical. So I thought, hmm, quite interesting. Um, and because I was kind of rebelling against it in school, the teacher said, oh, well, we can kind of tweak a few modules and kind of get it so you can film the end of year shows and it'll count towards your GCSE somehow. They're kind of like, there's a camera, learn how to use it. Right. So they give me like a DV, I can't remember what it was, but they give me a really, like, compared to now, like, crap camera. Um, and just took it home at the weekends and just messed around with it, really. Still don't have a clue. Didn't even, even, even in the school, one of the options for GCSE was media studies. And I was just like, wasn't interested because it was very script and at first very written based academic because I was dyslexic as well any sort of written anything to do with writing or you know talking and talking out loud or remembering information was just like really shit for me um so yeah they tweaked that and allowed me to then do my GCSEs and tweak it so I could film and be involved in the technical side of things um so then I got in I got a B it's pretty good in that um, and then left school and thought, what do we do now? Yeah. Got all right grades in most areas, B's and C's and stuff like that, but nothing was really like, oh, you're going to be a doctor or you can be... There was no real 
I wasn't really forced by my family into a career route, career path, which was good. I wasn't imposed by my parents saying, you have to go to college, you have to go to university. They're kind of like, find your own feet and support whatever you do. Um, so I liked cameras and I thought it's anything I actually care about or I'm interested in. So I'll go to college and try and figure it out. Um, so I went to South Trafford College, did a two-year BTEC National Diploma in Moving Image, um, which again was like... This is also very technical as a course, so did it suit you or was it quite academic as well? Um, you kind of, well, in the first year it was a, quite like a 50-50 split. So it was like, it was, some of it was very, you know, studying films and writing th thesis about what that film makes you feel like. And I didn't really, I wasn't really in touch with my feelings enough there to really be able to understand film properly that when I was in that mindset. Um, so I was just really like drawn towards the whole pick up a camera, film something, see how, how bad it looks and figure out how you can improve the image to look better. I think I kind of learned storytelling and filmmaking from an image perspective of the final image rather than trying to figure out what the story was and what it meant emotionally yet. I kind of just figured out how to use a camera. Sure. Did you find yourself maybe when in your like childhood, did you, I know maybe me and Cal, uh, Cal and I, I used to watch tons of films yeah. as a kid. So subconsciously you got it because you'd absorbed so much as a kid, you know, sat in front of the telly watching all sorts from Disney films to anything, to anything. So do you feel that influenced you, your talent that you have? Yeah, I think definitely like childhood wise, it was, I didn't really like many sports or any. Um, so for me, it was film and games, consoles, game consoles, and the whole, you know, 3D world space and free roaming time of games are kind of where I was, what I was involved in. Um, you were a nerd. Yeah, of course. I'm a camera geek. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Like, jeez. I want to pull up as well. You said you mentioned you're dyslexic. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's interesting because it shows that, well, for anyone who thinks that's a hindrance, whether you're in school now or you're in college and you're struggling, things like that, it shows that you can still do some really cool stuff. Yeah, because when, when this was like, what, so you're in college, what's that, seven, eight, 17, 18? Mm -hmm. You're in college. I couldn't really even, like, People couldn't even read my handwriting. That's how bad it was. That's how like how unsavvy I was in that type of thing. But talking about stuff and creating things and being articulate in creatively, yeah. art, art, drawing, films. That's where I. That's where my skills lie. So what happened after college? What was your next um, steps? So obviously left college. Still didn't really have a clue how the hell I was supposed to create a career or a job. Did you want to go into film? Was that the the plan? Do you think? Um, it was, well, college kind of gave me the understanding and mindset of, just to help me discover what I actually enjoyed. And I enjoyed experimental video. That's what I was actually getting good marks in. That's where my mind was going. And we even shot some like really, really like basic, basic music videos to like Coldplay songs. I think one of the projects was, we went to a park and shot a music video of like me and a couple of my friends who were in like, we were part of the, the group and we got signed a task to go and shoot a music video. And I was kind of all, all you know, without even realising, I was kind of directing then. They didn't realise what the format of a production company was. Um, but I knew I needed to learn how it worked, the nuts and bolts. So that's when I decided to go to university. Cool. Where did you go? Salford. Salford. Salford Uni. Salford Uni, but it's before it got all the Media City money. Yeah. yeah. It was just 
Salford University, yeah. <laughs> fighting, scrambling to become, you know, well known in in terms of what I was studying film. Um, it was really only sort of technical slash creative media course in the northwest, really, outside of like Liverpool, Edge Hill, and that was an option, um, or London. So in terms of because obviously I live in South Manchester. Mm-hmm. At that time, the only place I could study at degree level in what I was interested in was Salford. And that was a, a HND okay. in media production. Whilst at uni, did you feel it was a valuable experience or did you find yourself doing more external things as I did and probably Cal did as well? Yeah, I think obviously when you're at uni, I worked pretty much full-time-ish while I was at uni just because I stayed at home as well. I didn't even... Because I wanted to use university as a goal to get this golden piece of paper that gets you into a job. Yeah, yeah. That was what everyone, that's what you led to believe in, you chased into. Um, so I had no money and I didn't want to go down the student route of let's go to uni to get pissed and then try and scramble to the end for the race at the end and come out with something. I kind of knew what I wanted university to be for me. Um, so I purposely stayed at home, purposely kept in a full-time job and studied um, and used it for what it was for. So I was very like I was you know I was, when I was there, I was very absorbent for all the information and you. Sounds like you did you had the proper university experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, the the academic side of things for sure. Say. Yeah. He, very, he actually went to uni and learned. Yeah, stuff. I had a very <laughs> different uni experience. Because <laughs> obviously a lot of my friends were older than me, so I knew I already experienced university life about going there when I was at college. Right. So I went to university with the mindset of thinking, right, I'm going to be here every day because I'm going to learn so much. And in the first year of the media production course, I didn't really learn anything because I already knew what I was being taught. Because you, you're kind of thrown into a room of 50 people, for instance, and you have someone who's just done a total different course at college. They might have done, I don't know, journalism, or someone might have done science, or someone might have done maths or PE. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they want to do media production. So you're thrown into a classroom people. Some people don't want to be there. Some people have no experience of editing or camera or nothing. So in, in my eyes, I was quite, I was already ahead in terms of the knowledge I had, basic knowledge then, but I was sat in the classroom being shown how to like import footage into Final Cut Pro. Right. That was like a week course. How to set a project up, what 24p was versus 25p. And I was thinking, like, you learned this on YouTube years ago, like what? It's quite primitive, I feel like. The, the course structure wasn't in, in the times as much as I thought it would be. So for the first year, I didn't really go into many of my classes, but I hired out all the equipment that I was allowed to hire out and was just shooting stuff and um, advertising myself as a freelancer and using the university's equipment. That's the way. That's the way. <laughs> That's we we all did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't really do that. Obviously. <laughs> uh, well, that's kind of how I was trying to chip away at learning, not just in the classroom, but learning on site, because I think learning on set is just if not even more valuable than someone in the classroom telling you how to come That's the real education, isn't it? Just going out there and doing Yeah, because in the, you know, in, I'm just talking about editing at the moment because that was one of the modules which was editing. You know, it was a very strict course and it was very like, you have to do this, you have to do that, but the stuff they're showing you, you could teach yourself in a week on YouTube. So in terms of them parts, that wasn't valuable for university. What was valuable for university for me was learning how a production company works on paper, so what everyone's role was. I feel like that was important to know um, how valuable members of the team are. You know, you see a director's name on a piece of paper, but there's 40 people below him. You've all worked just as hard. 
But I, don't, I feel like if you don't understand the infrastructure of how a production works, I don't feel like you're respecting the able to succeed in them areas without understanding how it works. What would you say to people, therefore, like for these younger guys or maybe older people considering university to learn to do something that's kind of in the creative sector? Would you say yay or just kind of just there's enough out there to go out there and do it yourself? I think there is a lot of open resource online. You know, you can learn a lot online. Um, but I don't feel like nothing beats the hands on someone sat next to you who you can pick the brains of who's far more knowledgeable than you. Um, I think that's very important. And again, being being, you know, you obviously you're paying money to be in a room. Everyone is everyone's paying to be there. So I feel like, you know, you can you can learn and grow with the people you're around. And I feel like even some people that I was in university with, I still work with now, and they're still higher and they hire me. And we're still, you know, the, the the group of people isn't massive. It could be a handful of people, but I feel like you do grow with the creatives that you're around. You can create teams and businesses off the back of it. Agree. But then the flip side, you know, you, the argument to that would be, you know, you can create a Facebook group and do the same thing. But I feel like at least experience university life in what I experienced in media production, you do understand what how what teamwork is, and you experience and you kind of experience how production works, which you're never going to experience that online. You can read about it, but I feel like getting it wrong, fucking up. And obviously not being accountable because it's a university. It's a good time to trial and error and get things wrong because once you step out into the real world and you fuck up, it's, gonna, yeah. it's never going to leave you. It's expensive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's never going to leave you. So for that, I think, yeah, it's worth it. Great. So what, what was next once you graduated? Did you, you didn't become a music video director the following day, did you? Like, how, no, how so, did you get there? So obviously whatever, while I was in university, it's more towards, I say, the last year of uni, I was actively seeking freelance work and I was getting an income out of it. As um, a camera player? Or as filmmaker? doing like club videos. Right, yeah. Like even, to be fair, even before then, because photography was something I was drawn to. Um, one of my friends, Matthew, um, he actually bought a stills camera. He started shooting stills and was like, oh, I want to try and get into doing club photography. This is even college. Um, so I used to borrow his stills camera when I was like 17 and go to nightclubs in Manchester and go in and say, excuse me, can I do some club photography? And they're like, no, we've got a company that does it. So I contacted a company, which was called Till Late. Um, lied about my age and started doing club photography. I love it. Nobody thought to check. You were 17. 17, I was in, obviously, I was only a year out, but, yeah, but I was going around, I was in nightclubs in Printworks in Manchester and these clubs back, it was a circle bar was one of them before it, obviously it shut down now. Um, but I used to be in there at 17 getting paid like 20 quid to deliver 100 fully edited images within 24 hours wow. so you um, I assume you built up the skills of... <laughs> yeah because when I was in when you're in when I was in college and you know sort of rolling over to university I, f I felt like I was learning what helped me in terms of a cinematographer as well like the perspective I have on film is I was when you're learning how a video camera works, I feel like if you learn how a photography camera works and how to compose a single image, it can resonate for your work. So once I understood what aperture was, what short speed was, what ISO meant in a photography perspective, it translated to video straight away, in instantly. There's no difference because you're composing one image versus you know 20, however many frames per second you're working with. 
So did um, you learn how to communicate with people? Because I assume you weren't just taking candid photos, you were trying to, you're having to pose. It's the worst environment, you're in a pitch black room, <laughs> so you're trying to figure out how to use a camera in pitch black, and you're working with people drunk who are giving you abuse, and working with club owners who don't want to pay you, but they have to, and you start like, you're trying to talk to bouncers who are just thinking, is this schmuck, you know what I mean? Like, It's a shit environment, but it, allowed, it, it sort of toughened me up and allowed me to understand how bad it can be. Right. Like, Almost like it can't get any worse than this. Okay. I couldn't. I couldn't think of a worse environment to be in. Right. Like, unexperienced guy with a camera, somehow under pressure to deliver a hundred fully edited images within twenty four hours. I'm still in a nightclub. It's half empty. No one wants to talk to me. No one wants a picture. No one wants to pay five pound for a keyring. How would I make this work? So I feel like them in them situations sort of. Did you make it work? Yeah. Yeah, I used to do like four or five a night. So rather than in thirty quid in one. I'd do. I'll, I'll circle a few clubs. Okay. <laughs> How long would you spend at each club then? Forty-five minutes. Oh really? Oh, that's, that's what you'd have really. Because okay, imagine yeah. when the nightclub's only busy between what two and four. Sure. Yeah. Really, if you're trying to go in before two, everyone's too sober to what I take a picture, and after four, everyone's on the way out of the fighting. So you kind of had like a little sweet spot, maybe between two, three o'clock in the morning, when you could catch people out, and that was when you were like, "You got a picture, guys?" And they're like. Hey. <laughs> I'll say I did a couple of yeah, videos uh, in a Warrington nightclub um, back in the day and it was funny because you walk in there with a video camera and everyone's like I had a little roto light on top uh, right. so, so it's, it's not, like like it's not initially blinding but it's like it's bright so people are like don't want to be filmed and I oh literally God. just wait till it was about towards midnight and people had a few drinks and they're like yeah, yeah camera it'd be funny because they think it's a stills camera so they'd pose, that. wouldn't they? They'd be like the posing, and I'd just do the classic move in, move out, like drift in with the. Yeah, they're like, like, you walk up to a video with like a DSLR in a nightclub, and people just freeze. I still get <laughs> that. like, it's a video. Yeah. I walked around with like, the red before, and people posing for a picture. It's like, oh, a massive cinema camera on your shoulder. Like, I'm clearly shooting yeah, video, it's, guys. It's clearly a film happening here. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I was doing really crappy nightclub gigs as a photographer. I was even scared to call myself a videographer. Just left uni, didn't have much skills. Um, but towards in the last year of uni, um, club promotional videos was a thing. Um, luckily, some of my friends were in the year above me who graduated and set up little production companies and little outfits and needed shooters, cheap slash free. Um, so a lot of my stuff in my first year, I was doing for nothing, just for the, just to get a cameraman's really. Hired the camera from uni. But then it was like Panasonic P2s. So you're like big, going to nightclubs with these big Panasonic P2s. A nightclub with a P2. Boom, just flying around, did like hit and run and like these proper like underground <laughs> grimy raves in Manchester where things were getting thrown around, all sorts of bodily fluids and everything going on. And there with a Panasonic P2, like a 20 grand camera, just like realising that it's really bad in low light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, and then a, what was it, the last, the last student... You know, obviously you get student finance and stuff. Obviously you get like, what, £1,500 every so many months to spend on what you want. Um, I spent my last student loan on the Canon 7D. So the 5D came out, this whole DSLR crazy shit. Yeah, revolution, yeah. Everyone was flying around, everyone was shooting everything on yeah. Canon 5D Mark II. Flying around and doing all sorts. And I was watching, because I used always listen to a lot of music, a lot of American influenced music, rap, hip hop, and all this all the sort of the musicians that I was listening to at that time 
when I left university, I was looking at videos thinking, wow, these are amazing. They're in LA, it's great. But I was looking at a Canon 5D image thinking it's amazing. And now thinking back, I was thinking it's probably actually pretty basic. But to my eye then, I was blown away. Yeah. So I bought a Canon 7D thinking, yes, I'm going to get so as close as I can get to that. And then realised it's a crop sensor. So my 50mm lens is actually 100mm. So going to nightclubs and doing club events with a 100mm lens. Thinking, what the fuck? Why is everyone so close? I didn't even know what a crop sensor was. I didn't even understand what it was. I was still learning. So obviously I thought, oh shit, that was great. Um, And then some some guy that I knew was selling a stolen Canon 5D Mark II, so I bought that for £150. (laughs) (laughs) That's the title of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It was stolen. Don't know who from, don't know where it's from, but <laughs> don't, don't. one of my moody we friends. We don't condone this behaviour. Many of moody friends <laughs> that I have from South Manchester um, sold me a Canon 5D Mark II with um, the 24105L series lens, batteries, everything. If you knew how much it was actually worth, oh my God. <laughs> £150. That's ridiculous yeah. to get. A studio somewhere must have got the over. I don't know. I was just like... What? 150 pounds? Ask no more questions. Obviously. Um, never tried to update it or I tried to plug it in anywhere. I just felt it anything. Just, it was like an off-the-books camera. Um, sold my 7D on eBay. Someone bought that pretty quickly because I just got rid of it as cheap as I could. And that was kind of, then it was like, right, I've now got the full-frame Canon 5D Mark II. Boom. Let's go. Got nothing to shoot. No one... Who can I shoot? You know what I mean? I watch shoot music. I watch shoot top level music videos, getting millions of views. I was aspiring to work with all these amazing rappers, and I thought no one even knows who I am. Like, how the hell am I going to do this? So I had to get a job. Um. So I was I worked part time at the Odeon Cinema because I tried. To, I wanted to have my foot in the door in terms of film. So I wanted to know what was current. So for hours to do that, well, I'll get paid to do that. Then I work in the cinema. So I've got your free cinema passes. So you can watch as many films as you want, unlimited. So I thought, right, my foot's in the door creatively. I'm at least I'm understanding what's happening in the film world, top end. Um, and then I was working, got a job at Virgin Media, as you mentioned before, while trying to somehow build up a portfolio of music videos. And I had none. So what were you doing? Were you just <laughs> reaching out to people on Instagram or Facebook? And um, so well, I think, camera. obviously, <laughs> make that was, what, 21 when I graduated, so like between 21 and 22 years old, 23-ish, around that, whenever that age was, when I left uni. Um, Instagram wasn't really... I don't think it even came think, out yet. No, no, it was Facebook, no. Twitter, and that was really, and YouTube. And YouTube was massive, obviously, like your SBTV, Jamal Edwards, his platform yeah. was like the go-to thing for UK music content. So I was tuning into that, watching what was happening. I was thinking, you know, there's loads of really cool things happening, there's loads of exposure. Um, but I kind of looked and thought, well, you've got your production companies, which are working record labels, who have got their own team and networks and things going on. Then you've got your loads of other guys who are all independent, who are more experienced than me, with all the kit that they need, shooting all the independent guys, and then me at the bottom. And then people with more experience than me above me, so I was at the bottom just thinking, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Um, and then... One of, my f- one of my friends from university, um, she wanted to start getting into, into artist management. She wanted to start her own. She had a production company that I was sort of freelancing and subbing with her, white labelling myself to shoot stuff for her while she was creating contacts and building a database of clients. 
then she wanted to get into artist management. That was the thing she wanted to do. Um, so she found a girl from Manchester who's a singer and was like, what, well, try and manage her? Let's do a photo shoot. Hit me up and was like, you do photography, let's organise a shoot. Do what I'll do it. It's in Marbella for a week. All expenses covered. Can't pay you, but I can pay you to come. You want it? Thought, yeah, why not? So I didn't go to the cinema for a week and kind of ended up leaving there because I couldn't really go back just because yeah. for a week. Because <laughs> um, this was a transitional period before I left the cinema and joined Virgin Media. I had like a part-time, as part-time. Right. Um, went to Marbella, did some stills for uh, Milia, who's my friend. Um, she put her image on Twitter then started getting um, hit up by some labels who were kind of like interested in the sound and what was going on. They just kind of A&Rs just wanted to know what was happening so they can decide is it worth looking at or not. And they were interested, like, you need to create some more visuals, you need to have some music videos going out, you need to be doing some cool shit, basically, otherwise no one's going to care. Um, so she was like, do you want to shoot a music video? I was like, yeah, I'll try. So we went to Italy, because um, her cousin was going out with the son of Manchester City's manager, is it Mancini, he was called? Right, yeah, yeah. She was going out with his son. Right, okay. So it was like, we can... Pretty much go there they've got a nice place we can shoot in for free they've Perfect. got nice cars Perfect. they've got access to things that we could never get access to let's just take your camera and try and make something work was this a paid gig or was this no, just expensive this is just just me just trying to prove it. to them and myself that i can actually do what i've been gone to university for pretty much <laughs> um so shot a music video was this was the 5d 24 again yeah handheld or shoulder yeah. i think i had a shoulder rig. Did you know how to do a music video at that time? Did you no, feel I confident didn't. or no? I was kind of like, before I went the week before, Googling how to sync an audio track to like, obviously I, I, was like, I knew stuff from college and uni, but once you're kind of thrown into the real world, you're almost frightening yourself into thinking it's harder than it is. And you're kind of stuck in this bubble, oh shit, do we even know what? Can even do it, shall I not? Just threw myself in. Yeah. Shot a music video with her, that went well. She put that out. Then we, then we went to Spain, I think it was. Shot another one. And then after that, she got some interest from America. Um, and was like, got some interest from America. Um, we've got some funding from like a third party to pay for a music video and create, you know, a higher end visual. We've hired a director from LA to shoot it. Do I come and do BTS? behind the scenes. I was like, yeah, cool. And they were like, well, we're going to go for three weeks. We need you there for the full time. And I was like, all right, cool. Virgin Media? <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> just even, so just, but, I was, but I was quite close with yeah. the manager at Virgin. He knew I wasn't there forever. He knew I was just there to pay my bills. But it was a good job. Like I was an was a installation technician. Like I was installing Virgin Media in people's houses. Right. It was like a what £25,000 a year job. Like It was decent. Yeah. You know, it could have been a career, potentially, but it just wasn't for me. I knew it wasn't ever, it was just pay my bills while I could try and figure out how and which way I'm going to go with things. Yeah. yeah, so I kind of went to America and the music video directors who I was always aspiring and always looking at his work thinking he's fucking sick, shooting 5Ds and all this stuff, um, was Alex Nazari. Um, and it was him who they hired. What sort of videos has he done before for people that don't know? Um, so... I discovered him. Well, imagine, imagine right now the way the Manchester music scene is. If you do or not know about it, how it's exploding in a crazy way worldwide. Yeah. 
he was one of the pioneering directors along with like people like Colin Tilly and right, right. LA directors um, who were in the network of musicians who were all unsigned at the time. So like Tiger, Meek Mill, all these Rick Ross, all these independent musicians back then who didn't have labels and were all just on this cusp of exploding. They were the visionaries and the directors who were visualising it all then. And that's when I first discovered them, way before the music was even played in the UK. So when I went to America the first time, I was exposed to like crazy amounts of music that I never heard, like ambitions, talents, networks, infrastructures that I saw and I thought, this is not even, people in the UK don't even understand this exists. So kind of some, through fate, I was put in a situation where I could see how you could capitalise on a situation visually. So a scene that was never visualised was then being visualised and I was inspired massively by it. Um, and while being on the music video set, you know, this was like a, what, £50,000-plus music video. There was a crew of, like, 30 people. There was trucks pulling up with lighting. There was, you know, I'd actually, you know, I could actually met a gaffer for the first time. And I was understanding all these people that I learned about uni, all these names. I was meeting them, so he was like, hi, I'm the, my name's Charles. I'm the gaffer today. And I was like, right, so this is what a gaffer looks like right. in real life. Wears shorts and has a big What does he do? What's his gaffer? All right, so, right, so he's working hand in hand with the DP. He's a DP's right hand man. Yeah. They're best friends. He was the gaffer's best friends. Ooh, man, I was just figuring out this whole network that I've read about in university and sort of like studied, but actually physically seeing it in real life is a total different, like different kettle of fish. So just being in LA for three weeks, she had two videos shot and, you know, being around a production in my eyes, which was massive, back then was like, fuck, this is amazing. Absorbing all this information, I was just a sponge asking every single person what that was. I was annoying them. I was annoying people at the end. Well, just chatting to everyone and just the amount of stuff I learned just by asking questions. It's a great disguise as well because you're the behind the scenes guy. Oh, so it's you have to, You've got a perfect excuse to approach all these people and what are you doing today? It's amazing. I was like, no way. Because like, obviously I was meeting camera assistants and I was like, right. So now I know what camera assistants do. But yeah, so I was on this production. These, these these two productions in LA, and I just got exposed to massive. I just understood what Hollywood was, and how active the scene was, and how much work there is there, and how crazy and fast paced, and everyone is on job. You know, focus puller is a full time career in Los Angeles, in the UK as well, but in America it's just it just gets crazy over there, and that just massively inspired me. Um, so I come back to the UK after the back of that, and know what to do I was like right so I've got all this knowledge I've seen all these amazing things I've kind of seen in a nutshell where I want to be but I don't know how I'm going to get there I don't know I've not got a network of people in Manchester There's, I don't know I know some of the talent personally but I just I was like lost but I had a body of work of this behind the scenes stuff and had um, you know in terms of like my Facebook and my Twitter or the type of imagery I was putting out and the type of content I was capturing, people were like, fucking hell, what's he doing? Where's he just been? So that kind of attracted the attention of um, a newly formed agency in Manchester um, called EY Free Media. So that was like a new agency. I think they were like six months old when they hit me up and they basically said, we've seen what you're doing. We like the way it's going. We think we can incubate your talent and give you an opportunity to work inside an agency slash production house in Manchester and you know be involved in creating a platform from the ground up are you in i was like yes like yeah well the wage isn't great because we just started but you can do what you want you can be in you know effectively you can 
self shoot, produce, direct, edit everything yourself because there's no one else in there, t- there who can do it apart from you. Do you want the job? You are the creative <laughs> guy. You yeah, we're, we're the business guys. We'll get the jobs. Yeah. You just make it work and get us, create something that we can sell. Yeah. Are you in? And I was like, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm in. Um, and that's when I joined EY Free Media exclusively to them. So that was like, you know, any freelance opportunities that I had all came through the same front door. Everything that was part of my contract and the, you know, the agreement was everything's comes on the table and so would that say your clients personally would become EY Free's? Yeah. Obviously bit, I had no clients really anyway, yeah, to begin yeah, with, because I even knew who the fuck it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and they were completely open with all that as well. But any outside opportunities or any oh I like you what you're doing, how much for that, it all came through and that's just you know, a mutual agreement plus a legal agreement which was made. Um, so I was in-house at a new production company. So I come into EY3 and it was great. They had, a, you know, they had um, loads of equipment which was, so basically before I joined, they had someone else who was like office management slash production management who kind of got sacked before I got there. But he created the initial inventory for the business. So what cameras do you think they should have? What lenses do you think they should have? And outfitted them out kind of well. Some stuff I wouldn't have bought, but it was good because it, it was, there was a lot of kit there was what I didn't have. So straight away I was one step closer to my ambition of having all the right kit and the right people around me, um, which was good. There's a designer in there called Simon Slattery. He was also a shooter. Um, his dad's got a wedding videography company who Rick used to do a lot of his wedding stuff with. Oh, right. Um, so, I, so basically Simon, who was a designer, I ended up meeting his dad, who then introduced me to Rick. So that's how I first met Rick. Was back Rick Bailey, who yeah, was Rick also Bailey. featured on our Yeah, Rick Bailey. Yeah, Rick Bailey. So that's how I first met Rick. Everyone knows each other in yeah. this world. And it's kind it? of this then, this whole, but within EY3 Media, um, the main arm of the business was a record label as well. Underwritten was a record label. So the the people who actually set it up originally um, were a group of artists from Manchester called Virus Syndicate. And they had their own record label called Medication. Um, so a lot of the projects initially, well, throughout the whole three years I was there, were very music-based. So that was music to my ears. Um, so I was involved, again, not just in the music video side of shooting videos for the artists and their label, or because the, they were artists themselves, so shooting the video for the people who owned the company as well. Um, I learned a lot about the music industry, so how a record label worked, and then slowly kind of, because I knew how production worked, but I didn't know how a record label in the music industry worked. It's a very different animal. Because creative is just one part of a, of a music business. Um, so I, learned, I started to learn quite a lot about even like record sales and how much streams are worth and how a, music, how a song gets from the studio to the radio, what radio pluggers do, what A&Rs do. I could just learn, become a sponge. And I, I like to understand everything about what I do so no one can pull the wool over my eyes and just so I know what can and can't be done. So I kind of ended up learning how a, how the musician industry worked by mistake while being there, which is quite cool. Um, but then also allowed, was able to then dip into the corporate world. So we had some corporate clients that I worked with, so I kind of understood how to deal with corporate clients in the corporate world and how different that is creatively to the music industry. Corporate is seen as very clean cut and very sharp and clinical in some ways where the world that I was coming from was music video, very experimental, 
bit wackier. Can be yeah, wackier, and so yeah. I kind of learned both sides at the same time, as well as doing photography as well. So I was doing fashion photography. I was doing fashion videos. I was doing all different types of stuff was coming through the door, and I just jumped at it and put my own stamp on it. And the business did start to build quite a nice reputation visually online. Um, then obviously into my second year, again, business grew, started to then allow myself, allow the company to hire in freelancers that I knew. So some operators that I knew, like Rick Bailey and a few other people, started to sub out a bit of work and white label stuff to them because there was just too much for me to do solely. Um, then we had one of my friends, Dan, doing motion graphics and he was in-house doing bits of editing and stuff like that. So it was quite nice. Had a little click of my friends who just brought in basically when I could. It's quite nice. Brilliant. Um, and then into the third year, um, I kind of started feeling like I was getting a bit itchy, itchy feet. Um, the type of job, the type of productions I wanted to do and wanted to work on, and the amount of money it would need budget-wise to execute what I wanted, wasn't quite in line with the business business side of things. So how I would, you know, look at a how I would spend the budget was very different to how the business wanted to spend the budget and there was conflict in some areas, which is fine. Um, obviously respected how the business was run and it's obviously a business is designed to make money first, especially agencies. Money, overheads, you had, studio, you had like free studios, you know what I mean? Overheads are sometimes yeah. means you've got to cut back on creativity. And I was quite rebellious in some ways. I was like, well, yeah, but if we do an amazing video and spend all the budget on it, it'll pay for itself and all. Yeah. It's going to look that like good. It'll fucking pay for everyone's. For, you know what I mean, off the back of this, what we could do, it could be amazing. But it's a lot of risk. Yeah. Sometimes they listened, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes things worked well, sometimes things didn't. But I feel like, you know, I was just getting itchy, basically. I wanted to hire out bigger cameras and I wanted to hire more people and hire DPs from London and just start making things look polished and as good as I could. And it... You say from that experience yeah. in LA, you saw a whole other world. Of yeah, I was, and I was. And that, I suppose, that expanded your mind and your dreams. Yeah, I, I kind of knew where I wanted, what I wanted things to be and look like. But this, obviously, when you're working for an, agent, an agency that you don't own or a production company, they've got their own goals. And at that, in that, within that third year, I, I kind of matured creatively in, as a director. Because that's the career I wanted to pursue, and that's the role that I was within the business. I was directing all the content. I kind of wanted to take it down my own path. I wanted to make my own risks and fuck up myself and know it was, if anything happens, it's on me, no one else, you know. So the only way to do that is to set up your own business, set up a production company or set up your own agency, and I guess. Well, I was kind of, fun, right? yeah, yeah, so I kind of, I didn't want to, I thought, fuck, production company, fuck sake, one of them, I can't. Like, I just thought, I've just, been in, <laughs> I've just been in an agency slash production company for three years, I've seen the ins and outs of it, I know the nuts and bolts, how it works, how expensive it is, how it, I knew everything about how business worked. Um, and I didn't want to jump into trying to set up a business from scratch because basically when I left and I was in, obviously I was on a salary so I, I knew if I leave I better have some clients somewhere because I'm going to have nothing <laughs> and because of like NDAs and stuff I was in a position where I didn't want to think about trying to speak to contacts or try and do anything that's going to put, make me look like So you, you couldn't take any of the content that you shot either? No, it was all over. Making sure real or anything? No, nothing. They, they made it very clear. Like if you go, yeah. you're going back to square one. You've just left uni, right? Effectively, yeah, yeah. Because all my con three years worth of content, I couldn't touch, so my hands were tied. So, I was, but me being quite rebellious in some ways, if someone says no, I say yes. So I said, all right, sweet, bye. 
left, parted ways, um, left the business and had no money, no equipment, no showreel, no website, nothing. Like when I say when I say nothing, I went from a salary all right ish salary in agency to having like five hundred pounds in my account, knowing that my bills of a thousand pounds I've got a month before that happens and then I've got nothing. Like I've got a bit of money slash not enough to cover work in the next four weeks, I've got nothing. And it was fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought but I thought when I made the decision to leave I thought, you know what? I've just been to university, I've spent at uni it was like three thousand pounds a year when I was there, so it was cheap compared to it's now. I've got like ten, fifteen grand worth of debt on my shoulders. Nothing can, it can't really get any worse. Like all right, I've got no money. Sweet. What, what, what take me to court? What's gonna happen? And what I'm gonna go to prison for having no money? I thought, fuck it, I don't really care. So I went, I went home, um, and sat with my mum. I was like, so I've actually broke right now. Like, I think I had like four hundred fifty quid in my bank, and I owed most of that out already. <laughs> and I was like, so I've got nothing, and I want to be a music music video director. And obviously, parents as as supportive as my parents have always been. The kind of the question come up saying, "Well, are you gonna look for a real job or like yeah. that whole? Yeah, are you gonna jack it all in and go? Yeah, be are you, a gonna, are you gonna go back to Virgin Media and get a proper job now and start chasing this pipe dream?" And I was like, "No, because I'm that determined and that pissed off and that much anger and a whole whole load of emotions from leaving the agency." I thought. I'm going to prove him wrong. That's what I thought. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I thought I'm going to prove him wrong. That's literally what I said to myself. I promised myself. You know, when you, I don't know whether you've been in a situation in life where you've got nothing, like completely nothing. Been close. Been close. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> to the point where it's like, I've got to somehow find money. So you do think, shit, I need to get a job and just safety net myself again and get myself into a safety net job where I'm earning a salary, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not doing that. I know, I thought, I just had a feeling, I thought, what's what's the worst that can happen? If I wholeheartedly believe that something will happen, I live in dreams about it, like, in my heart, I knew I had the ambition, I've come too far, I've been too through many ups and downs and experiences, I had to make it work. Um, so I thought, right, fuck this, I'm going to make it work. Who haven't I worked with in Manchester? Who, who can they not sue me for talking to? Let me look, so I just made a list. So I just looked at Manchester, all the musicians that I knew, with you know, every, every, because music was my, music's always been my heart. I thought, I'm never going to be able to walk into a corporate office and try and win work off someone. And they fucking laugh me out the door. Like, I don't wear suits. I'm not a suit guy. Um, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people do get judged by the way they look in the in corporate world. So I thought, corporate money, as good as it is, no one's going to want to hire me <laughs> unless they see my work. And I can't, show them how good my work is creatively or corporate wise because I've got no reel to show you because it's been took off me. So I thought, right, corporate not going to want me. Um, fashion, yeah, but there's low-end fashion stuff, there's no, no money in it. Quick, to, you know, there's no quick cash. How do I create a quick, how to create money quickly but I still love it somehow. So I looked at the, I looked at the Manchester music video scene, the music scene in Manchester. I knew loads of musicians and there was a, there's kind of like a, a big opportunity because you had Musicians who were signed to labels, which there wasn't many in Manchester at all in the grime scene, slash, you know, 
wouldn't even say grime scene because that's just the word that's just been used for a collective of type of music. There's a massive underground music scene in Manchester. I don't think you can categorise it as one genre. But anything apart from rock and that sort of indie type music, that's its own sector that I don't know anything about. I wouldn't ever talk about it because I don't know about it. But the scene that I was involved in and the scene that I loved and always listened to was the urban scene, urban music in Manchester, the underground music scene. So I looked at this, I looked at everyone that knew all the musicians and music that I was listening to and thought, right, let's see what everyone's doing creatively. Okay, music videos. Everything was just kind of on the street corner, run around with a camera, flap it together and throw it out. And there wasn't really any care attention from what I saw. And there wasn't really any prolific video directors or people who were fully supporting the scene, you know, and trying to build, you know, a creative, build a look, build consistency and, you know, put people on visually and love it. I couldn't see that. I was looking and thinking, I can't see it. Where is it? They should be here. So you had like production companies in Manchester, big ones who wouldn't even touch an up and coming musician because they only had 200 quid to do a video. And then you've got musicians who had friends who bought cameras and thought they could be directors doing stuff for them. And I thought, I can clean up here creatively and also have an income to somehow facilitate this. Because it has to satisfy you creatively. Whatever you do has to satisfy you creatively. Um, so I thought, right, I've made a list of musicians who I know or who I can contact or speak to or I could create a conversation or an opportunity where I can meet them through going to an event or whatever. But I've got no kit. No lap, nothing, no laptop, no cameras, no nothing. And obviously I had a month to create the situation because I had bills, like literally on my door. So I just hit up as many musicians as I could and was like, I'll do your music video. Um, I've got a, what, did, what was it? The way, I, the way I put it was, I've got high-end camera equipment, I've got a gimbal, I've got Rowan. I just sold them a package I didn't have. But what I did while I was selling the package was I hit up a hire company, ProCam TV, created an account with them um, and said, how much would it be for a Sony FS5 and a Ronin? And they're like, well, the Sony FS5 is like £200 a day and the Ronin is like 150 blah, blah, blah. It'd be about £500 a day. It's like, fuck. Yeah. They've only got £200 for a video. What am I going to do here? <laughs> and they said, oh, but at weekends, you can hire it out on Friday and don't bring it back to Monday if you want for one day I thought okay so how many videos can I do in three days so I lined up like seven <laughs> <laughs> this is blowing my mind how backs to the wall you were yeah you know, I was like I was I was going into music videos heavily depressed and upset and like to, like trauma I don't know what I was going through but I was in a situation where I could not fail if I failed it would have been failing myself and family going to uni would have almost been, I would have had to move away. It would have been that bad. That's how, like, because all my friends and all the people that knew were embedded in the scene and knew the agency that I was working at and knew what happened and saw me leave and thought, if he doesn't do something, he's gone. He's, he's just going to edit in some shit for some company and no one's going to know him ever again. He'll be yeah. gone. Can I interrupt? Sorry. Yeah. How did you have all these music contacts? Is this just from growing up initially? Yeah, so some people, yeah, yeah. So some people I knew from school were rapping as well as doing other things so I knew people did music I've just I just my ears have always been to the ground in the music scene in Manchester I grew up on the streets of Manchester 
was born in Salford, grew up in Ermston, in Trafford, South Manchester, got friends all over South Manchester. So everyone I knew was involved in music somehow, whether it's family, friends, coming to events. So I just knew people. And I was all, the only music I ever listened to was from Manchester. People, oh, have you listened to this new Skepta song? No. Have you listened to this? No. London's just got its own thing going on. There's too much yeah. music in Manchester now, or even then, to be able to listen to something else. So basically took, so I was hitting up people and someone's like, yeah, so I'll meet, I'd say like, there'd be some guy who's doing music in his bedroom and he's, you know, he doesn't have a job, but he might, you know, work on the streets. Um, and he's got a bit of cash flow and he's like, oh, well, I've got £200 for a music video. What can you do for me? So, and then I'm there turning up with a Sony FS5 on a Ronin with monitors and I'm too, I'm fucking up with all in one cinema package. <laughs> But I know how to use it all. I'm fully seasoned and using it all because through the agency for three years, I purposely hired out Ronin's when they first came out. Um, mirrorless Sony A7S, A7S2s. But when I went on my own, I thought, what, are people, what kit are people using? Okay, production companies are using Aries and Reds and never going to be able to hire one of them. I know how to use them, but I can't get to them yet. People who, were in, who, were, who could have been competition are just self-shooting with Sony's on the streets. Everything looks the same. So I'll hire something that's better than all that, which gives a better image, but isn't an Aria or Red because there's going to be a difference. People judge, uh, judge people off shooting on 4K cameras. It's a joke. I was shooting in HD with 10-bit. Bullied it all. Everything was looking great. Mm -hmm. Sony FS5, S-Log3. I could do what I want in the colour grade. Everything was looking gangster. <laughs> so I had a Ronin. I was, everything was, I was shooting on Ronin. No one else could even, didn't even know what it was. And I just took all the deposits in a weekend. Um, did like seven videos ranging from a hundred pounds of three, four hundred quid max. Took about two and a half grand, I think, I ended up getting something like that. And then five hundred pound of that went on the, the kit hire. The rest some what something went some of the bills, and then the other half I kept. And thought, right, what can I buy that's gonna offset this higher cost? What can I buy? Nothing really. I'll keep that to one side. And then if, then I was in this predicament where it was like, how the hell do I edit all this shit? I've got no laptop. I've got no laptop. I have nothing. Um, so I hit up one of my friends um, and was like, yeah, so I'm trying to like become a video director. Can I borrow your laptop? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, you can borrow my laptop. Um, give me 50 quid and you can just keep it for, for a bit and then I'll get it back off you when I need it. All right, cool. Boom. Edited all the videos in a week. Well, what laptop was it? It was a Mac Pro. I'm an avid, um, avid Mac user. You know, it's always been for university. You're going to say you're an avid user. Oh, no, avid user. No, 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 avid user. I'm an avid, avid not user. <laughs> well, yeah, literally, hired his laptop off him 50 quid. So that was a boom, 50 quid off my budget, gone. Boom. Had his laptop for like a month. And Didn't go outside. <laughs> just just so after that week, I sat there and just quite every single video in a week seven videos in a week wow that's one a day that's insane well sometimes it's two in a day like i'm so fast at editing when i want to be when my back's against the wall and there's a knife in my throat and it's like you need to get money for your bills yeah i'll say I that now as, as my <laughs> thing as an editor you'll find when you have a certain deadline you can do ridiculous things <laughs> you can really it's because you only look for the things that you need it's weird you just and suddenly you can craft yeah. Whatever the edit may be, you can suddenly craft a story. 
you know what bit this will make sense with this and because you're just in the flow aren't you you know because there's no in my in the space that i was working in there was no competition and there was no industry at all there was nothing apart from like like i mentioned before the, the tiers of production companies who won't touch anyone because of because they haven't got enough money for them to care because they've got overheads the guys in the street who were self-taught who was learning and very good and very dedicated but didn't have the creative juice or there's something in the um, recipe wasn't working quite right. And then I had all my experience and knowledge and now somewhere to actually vent my frustration creatively and people wanted to pay me. I didn't care how much they were paying me. 50 quid, 20 quid, free. For like your music, I was like, oh, I'll do your video free because I've got this rolling in and it's all, someone's already paid for it, so should we shoot something? I just won't sleep for two days and let's just go out and do something. That's literally what it was. Where, where were you shooting these kind of videos? Did All you, in Manchester. Just on the streets? Mm -hmm. right. Do you have any lighting or was it just pure like, use what you have? Like in terms of natural light, did you? Yeah, so, yeah, so when the, the, the first ones when I was literally bare bones in it, we've, I wanted to roll in because the way I was using it at the time was bespoke to what I was shooting, how I was shooting. And the way I was using the Sony sensor and the FS5, with the settings I was using were giving me an image which was like far superior to anything I was, could see and it was kind of wrapping my style around what I wanted to do. Um, but I couldn't have any budget for lighting so I was shooting with practicals. So any any street light I could see or anywhere I could position someone, backlit people or anything I could do to help enhance what I was trying to create, that's how to work with literature. So a lot of my early videos were all just lit off street lights and reflectors off nothing, like very basic. But it was in tuning with my style and what I was, and a lot of you know the way I was grading and approaching the treatment of color. I was white balancing in camera to match certain lights I was working with, and just tried to give it a, a style or a look as close to what I wanted with the kit that I had. Um, and then managed to get hold of a couple of LEDs off. There was a, basically it was a musician from Manchester called Mattis who invested in some of his own kit so he could shoot his own stuff. And he was like, when I'm not using it, you can hire it off me if you want. Slash, give me a discount, do me a video, and I'll let you use the lights on someone else's video. So I was doing that, so I was borrowing lights off him to shoot his videos and then keeping them to shoot my own as well. So it was very run and gun, very like two LEDs and that's it. Amazing. <laughs> How are you directing these videos? Because you're shooting, as you know, from all these... Yeah. The, the massive LA productions are directing a DOP of very different roles. Yeah. You're having to do everything. How, yeah. how did you find that uh, as an experience and how did you sort of craft these new videos when you do everything? I think for me, um, I've somehow, during that period, I managed to fuse them into the same thing. So I was, as well as directing talent and how a visual should be, I was also constructing how the image looked and exposing how the image looked and balancing how the image looked and I was doing the whole the whole what a whole production company would do I was doing on my own so from treatment writing because when I was doing these videos I was I wasn't just saying all right mate come and just film in outside your house I was writing treatments for everything I was like formalizing as much as I could with the time that yeah. I had. So you weren't trying to wing it on the day, you actually had a bit of an idea. No, because I knew you, you can't, because I could see how many people were failing just doing that. And it would be disrespectful, disrespectful to myself to even try and, try and treat video in that way. 
if you run into a situation with no prep and just trying to wing it, it's going to look winged. And not to the musician, because I love it because they've got a video cheap and it looks cool, but to my audience, which in my eyes, my audience was other creatives, other directors, production companies. I had to create something which looked technically correct and could stand next to another production company's work and think, yeah, that's just as good as that. So I was using these opportunities with musicians to create something which I knew looked better than what other people were creating. And that kind of, because there was no, at that time I feel like because the Manchester music scene was on this, was was very unknown and it wasn't visualised correctly, no one could really see it what it was. I feel like I what I was doing at the time was a, a very big influence on how things have gone now. Um, and even the musicians that I work with now have gone on and still going on to do like amazing things.